I'm Crystal Siracus. Welcome to Off the Page, the show featuring good books and good conversations with authors from our own region and from around the world. My guest today is author Yuvi Zalko. His new book is I Only Cry with Emoticons. It's a beautiful story about a man who is finding his footing in life after a divorce. It's a bit geeky, a bit neurotic, but the book really captures all of the sadness and joy and complexity of life. Yuvi, thank you so much for talking with me today. Yes, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. So tell us about your book. Yeah, so my book, it came out in June with Red Hen Press. It's called I Only Cry with Emoticons. And I keep changing my mind about how I talk about the book. But you know, one, one way I sometimes talk about it is to describe the scenario in which it started, which was I was working at a startup company in Portland, Oregon, that was doing online social collaboration software. And I was just lost in my head with like how how we communicate with people between the real life stuff and texting and social media. And then I was working in a company that was doing social collaboration software where, you know, you could see how many likes you were getting from your post. And I kind of really got in a really messy funk about connecting with humans. And so I ended up writing a book about a guy who was struggling in that way. His life is a lot more of a mess than mine. And he was going through a divorce and trying to raise a seven-year-old kid. And, uh, but I really was fascinated with like how we have real connections with people in modern times. And so I kind of wanted to write about a guy stumbling through that. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if that's a good description, but that's no, how I'm it, trying. It, it, it's great. <laughs> it leads me into because Saul is, is your, is your main character. Yeah. Um, like you said, he works at this tech company. He's also a writer. He's been working on a novel for many, many years. He's going through a divorce, has a son. He's starting to date. So there's a lot going on that's messy <laughs> and emotional and funny and sad. But what really stood out for me is how incredibly relatable everything is. So was that connection with the reader a specific goal you had in writing the story? Uh, I don't know if it's a it was a specific goal for this project, but I, in general, I'm always thinking about how do I make this more relatable? For instance, you know, maybe in an earlier draft, uh, the tech stuff was a little too heavy-handed, and I think it it separated me from a reader who wasn't immersed in tech. And so I, when I realized that, I started pulling that back to make it more approachable for any reader, no matter if you know tech or you don't. And uh, but yeah, so relatable is something I do you know, through the drafts, because I want, I want people to connect with the emotions that I'm, you know, that are exploding inside of me. I want you to feel some of that too, ideally. <laughs> yeah. You know, the relationship between Saul and his son is just so beautiful. Was that easy to write for you? Yeah. Well, and, and that is a part of it that I think is, is at the heart of the story. And it was at the heart of what kept bringing me back to the story as I was, I'm, I'm raising a kid. My kid is 13 years old now. And so at the time, you know, they were similar age is similar age range. And I was trying to figure out how to stay connected to my kid 
as they were exploring the world. And, um, and so I wrote that into the book, you know, Saul's son is a very sensitive seven-year-old boy. And, and he catches Saul. And when Saul says something that doesn't seem right or honest or true, the boy is sort of the one who's kind of calling him on it. Um, and that was really important to me, the, the, that relationship and helping Saul be grounded because of this child that he's trying to do a decent job of raising. I think for parents, um, you know, that's one of the hardest things is when your child, you know, suddenly is is explaining things to you and calling you out. <laughs> yeah, that was a fun part. Uh, I loved that ability because while all the adults are screwing up in various ways in their lives in the story, the the child is the one who can see it and say it most clearly sometimes. And I, I love that element, both in the writing, it's fun to do that, but also in real life, I love that, that the, the kid doesn't have all these filters that the adult has, and they don't know what they should and shouldn't, what they should and shouldn't say. Uh, and so it's really fun to take advantage of that in storytelling to um, get to the truth. As we mentioned, um, Saul is getting divorced, figuring out life with his now ex-wife. He's also figuring out how to date again, how to deal with his ex-wife's new relationship. What was it like exploring that space where there's so much anger and uncertainty and sadness? Yeah, you know, one thing that is interesting uh, uh, when I go on at, to book readings with this book is I ha I always have to qualify, like a lot of this is true. For instance, I did write some of it in the bathroom stall of a day job, but I'm happily married and this guy, Saul, is really struggling with divorce. And even though I haven't been divorced, um, you know, I, I have a lot of friends who have been divorced and, and my wife uh, uh, is, has been divorced. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm very attuned to that suffering when you're kind of separated with someone, but not fully apart. And especially when you're co-parenting, right. you're, you're never fully detached. Um, uh, but I somehow, like, I really feel a lot of the emotions of that transition and that pain and that in-betweenness and so it was very easy for me to write that that feeling in what Saul's going through. That in-betweenness, I think, is has been one of my favorite parts of the book because, again, you know, relatable, but it, it just stands out as a book that is very firmly rooted in the present, even though he's writing this book that's about the past and and kind of his writing about the past is what maybe lost him his marriage. Yeah, he he this character Saul really can't be present um and he I think the the writing about his grandfather in a fictionalized form is for for a chunk of the novel is pulling him away from the people in his life so he can't be present and I think his challenge is like to to be present with the people around him while also continuing this project about the past um, and kind of finding a way to do those both uh, properly. Yeah. And then he meets Kitty. 
<laughs> Tell us about yeah. Kitty. Yeah, well, uh, that was fun to write. So he starts dating someone named Kitty, who's his coworker matched him up with, and she's also recently divorced. And so she comes to the to this with her own bag of problems that are different but similar to Saul's bag of problems. And I found it really fun to have them bump up against each other. Um, you know, Kitty can really call Saul on his uh, BS. And so I think that uh, that was kind of fun to have somebody who didn't take any of the crazy stuff that Saul was saying. But she she has her own work to do. And it was interesting for me to see how those two people can potentially stumble their way through through a relationship uh, while working on their own messy lives. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, we talked that there's a lot of tech in the book. Um, the language of the book incorporates that where, you know, you're referencing hashtags, emojis, adding people, even the, even the title. But is it strange for you to think that 20 years ago you couldn't have written it that way? Yeah, and what was tricky about the book is as I was uh, trying to find a home for it, uh, the tech was changing. Like I, most of the stuff I've written before this book wasn't fixed in time in a particular way. Whereas this book, uh, you know, I kind of wanted to use some of the modern tech elements. You know, it's not; it doesn't have to be like perfectly tuned to a specific time and day, but. Uh, I was aware that it kind of puts it in time with smartwatches and smartphones and whether it's virtual reality barely figures into the book, but, but just all this technology, it's a very modern story in that way <laughs> for good or for bad. It, it actually reminded me a lot of Douglas Copeland's microsurfs. I don't know if you're familiar oh, with yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. There was just that, blend of geekiness and life and messy emotions, good and bad. Was was there anyone in particular that you would consider an influence with this novel? Yeah, well, D D Douglas Copeland definitely, and um, is it Joshua Ferris who wrote And Then We Came to the End? Yes, um, yes. That one, I can't remember how much tech there was, but that, like the mad, the craziness of office uh, life uh, is something that also was on my mind because this has tech, but also work life and the the bizarreness of how work goes today, <laughs> and and so uh, I I definitely was influenced by books that kind of depicted work life. Now you've called yourself an accidental novelist. What do you mean <laughs> by that? Yeah, I think I'm always finding ways to trick myself into doing creative stuff. Like, and if I ever think like I know what I'm doing, I feel like everything will fall apart. So partly, you know, I know I'm aching to like convey my big emotions in some way. And, you know, I do it through novels sometimes. I also do YouTube videos, occasionally do a podcast with my wife. I, I make a mobile app. So I'm always doing something to try to convey this explosion of, emotion, of emotions inside of me. And writing a novel was one of the ways. In fact, my first novel was really, I was doing some short stories and I was doing some personal essays. 
And then I decided, hey, I can jam all these together and turn it into a narrative. And now it's a novel. So, you know, I think I stumbled into novel writing, but also, you know, I sometimes I like to not think too hard about the shape of what I'm doing at first, because I just need to like, get my feelings on the page, whether it's literally a page or metaphorically. Yeah, yeah. So what what do you think were the big differences for you between writing your first book and then this one? Well, this one, even though, you know, I do sometimes say accidental novelist, you know, this one, I had to be aware of the fact that I had already published a novel. So, you know, I can't fully get away with that. And so this one, I think I was a, a little bit more intentional about this is going to be a long form story. And I I had to study a little bit more. And even though it's got some metafiction elements to it, my first novel was kind of on the extreme end of metafiction where the character is named UV and, and, you know, there is a lot more to it. This one is a little more traditional. And so I had to think about story arc and how, how the story moves from beginning to middle to end. And I had to study that a little more carefully and test that out with readers. And um, so I think this time I really tried harder to come up with a traditional story arc where the character changes across 200 and something pages. Hmm. Are, are the characters in the book based on real people in your life? Somewhat. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love the careful response. To that. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's messy. Uh, you know, the wife that there's an ex-wife in the book. Uh, and I joke around with my wife that, you know, I think my wife has elements of both Kitty, the woman he's dating and the ex-wife, but maybe a lot different than either of those two. I think the main person who is similar to me is probably Saul is like a messier version of me. Mm. So the other characters are maybe like a amalgamation of a few people in my life. I think it's this Saul character who's just like every time when I feel like I could go this healthier direction or I could go this other direction and it would be messy. Kind of Saul went down a few of those messier paths than I did, whereas I got therapy soon enough to reroute some of those problems. But the other characters are a little bit of a blend. You know, that he has a coworker named Anne. And one of the first things Anne says to him is about the book he's writing in my novel. Anne says, This book is toxic to you. And I do have a friend named Anne who said that, those very words to me. But she's she has differences to that character as well. So, but she kind of sparked sparked the story. <laughs> wow. Are we still friends with this person? Yeah, yeah. She she's very supportive. <laughs> and uh, and she was talking about a different book that I was working on and she called it toxic. And it kind of sparked this book, I only cry with emoticons. So she kind of helped wow. launch this book. So yeah, we're we're still very close. <laughs> and, she, and she's very <laughs> tolerant of the way I somewhat somewhat use these things and then run with it in all these fictional directions. <laughs> yeah. I think our friends have to be that way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And luckily, you know, most of the, usually the characters in my novel, it's, it's the main character who's the messiest. So I don't usually put in characters just to be mean to them. Like most of the characters are healthier people than the main character. <laughs> <laughs> Now, as we mentioned, this is your second published novel, and you mentioned you've already also written many short stories. Are there things about the craft of writing that you think you're still learning about? 
Yeah. I mean, I still, to be honest with you, feel like I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and it's just a fluke that any of these things succeeded. Um, you know, I, I've always had, this is a, a problem of mine that has taken many years of therapy to work through, but I think it, it serves me in the creative world in some ways, which is I kind of come at everything with like, I don't know what I'm doing. I probably can't pull this off, but let's see what happens. And writing a novel, the thing that I think is a little bit extra crazy about writing a novel is with short stories, what I loved about them is that you can, what I love about them is you can keep the whole story in your head at the same time. So you can just kind of like be walking around thinking about the whole piece and then you go through your day job or some other project or chore, and then you can come back to the book or the story at the end of the day and fix it up. With a novel, it's hard to keep it all in your head at once. And I find that really challenging. You really have to immerse yourself in the whole story. You know, sometimes I'll take a week off of work and leave leave for a cheap hotel or something just to focus on the story when I'm trying to clean up something. So I don't know if that answered your question, but you know, I feel like I'm always stumbling in my creative pursuits um, and they're each interesting and exasperating in different ways. Yeah. Um, you're a contributor for Writer Unboxed and co-founder Therese Walsh was actually just a guest on the program as well. Oh. And I'm really enjoying the videos that you do. I want to talk about a little bit of what you wrote about drafting, um, cre you know, creatively and kind of taking a really different approach to drafting than I think I've ever really heard anybody else talk about. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Is that the video I did called uh, Every Draft Has a Purpose? Yes. Yes. Can you talk a little about that process? Yeah. You know, the, what I do with my videos every few months these days is, you know, I come up with some angle about like writing that has been useful to me. And I kind of throw it out there of like, I don't know if it'll help you, but here's what I do. And this every draft has a purpose idea uh, was something I just realized along the way that I was like, I wonder if other people do it this way. For me, you know, the the first draft is a little bit of an exception in the things I do, because the first draft, I, I'm just trying to see if this, if I can get the voice on the page. I don't really know anything about what I'm up to, but after that first draft, I often have like a, like a main agenda that I want to resolve, like the biggest next issue. Maybe it's like, I need to deepen the character or I need to adjust the point of view, or I need to, um, uh, make it flow better from scene to scene. And so I'll often have like a a big idea or big thing I want to fix. And so I'll go through the draft with that main agenda in mind. And I might, other things might come up. I might, if they're small, I might fix them on the spot. But a lot of times I'll just put them to the side to have a a, a, a list of issues to deal with later. But I, I, for me, it helps in those middle drafts to have a main agenda that I'm trying to solve, like the biggest problem that is bugging me that I want to clean up. Uh, you know, I'm not a perfect purist in this method, but it was just something that helps me. Like this round, I'm just fixing the point of view, and that's what I'm going to tackle. It, it makes it less overwhelming for me. Um, I found... At first, when I was working on long projects, it was just too overwhelming to say, yeah, I got to fix everything. There's a hundred things wrong with it. Here we go. Uh, that was hard. So I whittled it down to what's the main thing I want to fix. 
Yeah, no, I love that because I think anybody who's tried writing any kind of longer form piece, that, that feeling of, I have to fix everything. And you can just really get stuck there, I think. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's easy to get to freeze up uh, when it, it feels, especially with longer projects that, like I was saying, you know, you can't fit it all in your head. And so it, it's already a challenge to manage it. Now you're going to try to fix 30 things in the really long thing. That's a lot of, that's a big, big challenge. So I just kind of wanted to simplify it a little bit. Still so, takes me forever to write it, but it's less overwhelming. <laughs> right, right. So can I ask how many drafts you went through with I Only Cry with Emoticons? Yeah, you know, I, I was trying to um, uh, figure that out recently when I just wanted to like gather some statistics. And I kind of lost track because sometimes the drafts blur together. Some of them are such small passes, you know, maybe I'm just like fixing like one object through the story. And so... I probably lost count at about six or seven, um, but you know all drafts aren't created equal. You know, like the one draft might take me nine months, another draft might take me a month, just because of the bigness of the challenge I'm focusing on. But you know, somewhere between six and ten, <laughs> somewhere in there, right? One of the other um, columns that you did for Writer Unboxed that I really loved was your fuzzy secrets to writing a decent novel, which I thought was a very good way to not oversell it. <laughs> yeah. But can you share a little, little, a few of those fuzzy secrets with us? Yeah, yeah. I think you've you've latched on to one of my gimmicks, which is I I love to undersell what I'm doing, <laughs> <laughs> so that people are like, oh, it was more. More, more useful than I expected. Uh, so yeah, the fuzzy secrets was something that hit me more re very recently was, you know, when you're trying to write a book, you, you know, there's some classic books and whatever realm you're working in that you read that explain to you how to help you understand how to write the book. Let's say if it's the hero's journey or whatever it is, mm. you know, there's some book that helps you with the craft of the writing. Um, and what I had recently been thinking about is there's some fuzzier elements that make that I need to succeed. And so, you know, it's it's partly just me kind of stumbling around thinking it through in the video. But, you know, there was elements of like having a healthy community of writers, you know, like even our our mutual friend Therese from uh Writer and Box. There's people in your community that it just feels like whether they're directly helping you with the thing you're writing or not, it seems like that for me is essential to have some kind of community, even if it's just a few trusted buddies who you'll check in with as you're struggling through your book you're writing. So community was one element, but then there was also aspects of humility and the ability to reflect on what you've got that I found really important, like to let go of the ego in me that doesn't want to admit that I screwed up that chapter or I didn't do that right. To just accept that I, I might have not got this right on this first pass and I need to um, reflect on how to get it deeper. Uh, th those fuzzy elements, I felt like were just as important as the craft aspect is like just to be open enough to, to, to look at what you've got. 
I think sharing among writers and, and, and I find this, you know, in talking to newer writers or even young people who are like, Hey, I want to be a writer. What are the things I should learn? I think that acceptance that um, it's probably going to suck at first yeah. is really important. Yeah. That, that is a tough one to accept. And it takes a while to, uh, to make it suck less. And then what's tricky is even if, if you've been doing it for 20 plus years, still the things you put out might suck at first <laughs> until you clean it up. So it's always a, um, a, a thing to come to terms with. <laughs> yeah. What do you think is your writing kryptonite? That is interesting. I think for me, a lot of times my strengths are also my weaknesses. And I love to create things. Like sometimes I talk about being a chronic creator in that I like I'll, I'll, I want to work on an essay and a short story and a novel and a mobile app and a YouTube video and a podcast. And but, you know, I still have like a full time day job and a family and chronic migraines that I deal with. And so having all those things, you know, it. It, it makes it hard to um, make much progress in any one thing. So I think for me, the struggle is just to say, I want to do these six things. Um, I know I won't be happy just doing one thing because I, I like to juggle at least two two things. So I've like, instead of doing these six creative things, just do the two things, but actually get to the finish line. So I think the tricky thing for me is just to focus on, on a few a few of the projects that are most exciting to me. So what have you read lately that you just love? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, well, you know, one of my close friends, uh, Liz Prado, we're doing a uh, reading or two together. Her book just came out, a very different book that I really loved called Kids in America. And it's a collection of essays, personal essays, but she covers a lot of stuff about growing up in Colorado, a lot about Gen X, but she, she, she's able to like talk about really complicated, messy things about misogyny and other elements and how that worked in the eighties alongside like talking about a 90210 episode. And so I really enjoy how she does the personal and fun stuff while also not shying away from some really tough topics. Um, and uh, speaking of office books, uh, when Wendy J. Fox has a collection of short stories called What If We Were Somewhere Else? And that is a really fun collection of related stories that kind of overlap and people, the, what happens in their workplace and outside of their lives and how they're all intertwined. And I, I'm intrigued at people who can pull off connected stories and it feel natural. And that was yeah. fun to kind of go through. Oh, great. I'm always looking for new books to read. So I always have to ask that question. Oh, nice. Um, I know that this book just came out for you. What's next? Well, uh, I'm almost embarrassed to admit it, but in my book that just came out, I Only Cry With Emoticons, that character Saul is working on a book about his grandfather moving to a rural Georgia in the 1930s as Polish Jewish immigrants. And that book that that character in my book is struggling with is actually the book I'm working on right now. I was working on it before the emoticons book. I took a break to work on this emoticons book and now I'm back at it. 
you know, at first I think I wasn't quite ready to tell that story. You know, it's a lot of historical, I mean, it's a lot of historical stuff I've had to research and it's some big, heavy, complicated topics uh, that I'm trying to cover. And, you know, hopefully maybe I'm 3% wiser now. And so I'm hoping um, I can get closer to the finish line on that book. <laughs> now. I hope you'll come back and talk with me when it's out. <laughs> yeah, give me somewhere in the next, uh, between one and 18 years, hopefully <laughs> I'll get to the finish line. <laughs> Yuvi, thank you so much for talking with me today. Oh, it was great chatting with you. Thank you so much, Crystal. Yuvi Zalko's book, I Only Cry with Emoticons, is available now. You can find out more about Yuvi, his writing, and some of his other creative adventures at uvzalco.com. Off the Page is a production of WSKG Public Media. I'm your host and producer, Crystal Sorakis. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time we go Off the Page.